Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We have spent the last two weeks here in chapter 8 talking about suffering. That those who desire to follow Christ, that it's a life of suffering. It's a life of hardship. It's a life of death. But Paul sees this as an encouragement to us. Paul sees this as a good thing. Because he says back in verse 17 that if provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And one of the things we found about suffering is for the believer in Christ. Now, everybody suffers in one way or another. Everybody does. Lost and saved. But our suffering, for those who are believers in Christ, our suffering has a purpose. It's not for nothing. And in verse 26, Paul said that we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us because we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And here in verse 28, our text for this morning, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And one of the most taken out of context verses in the Bible. In verse 26, Paul says, we don't know. And here in verse 28, he says, we do know. We don't know. We do know. The not knowing in verse 26 concerns the details of what God is doing in our life. We don't understand these things. And we're often puzzled over what goes on in our life. There have been times as a believer in Christ when circumstances in my life have been such that has caused me to fall to my knees and say, God, are you still there? We all find, uh, find that these come into our lives and we, we as believers who walk by faith and not by sight, we notice that Paul has been talking about suffering and then he comes to this verse and says this, but we know... See, in verse 26, he says that we don't know how to pray. But here in verse 28, he says, but this we do know, that God, for those who love him, work all things together for good. We know that God has a plan, he says. And if God has called us according to his purpose, he must have both a purpose and a place for us in it. And we know that everything will obviously work together for good, for our good in the achievement of that purpose. Are you struggling this morning? Are you suffering? We, we face all kinds of different kinds of suffering. There's the suffering that comes from living for Christ and, and being persecuted by the world. But we remember that we live in a sin-sick world. And sickness comes upon us. Disease comes upon us. Both of the mind and of the body. And, and, and we, we, we don't understand, God, why did you let this happen? And God says, or Paul tells us, God tells us through Paul here, 
Let me tell you something, believer. This is all working for your good. Not always easy to see that. But we know that everything will obviously work together for our good in the achievement of that. And because of these truths, this verse has been most comforting in the entire Word of God for most believers. Yet this verse poses a problem. All things work together for good. How is this possible when this world is filled with hatred and evil and we see suffering daily? You know, when times are good, when we have a steady job, all of our bills are paid, when our families are all doing well, when nobody's sick, we say all things work together for good. And I have found that we see other believers who are suffering and we go to them and say, hey, just remember now, all things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But what about when it's us? What about when it's me? What about when your world comes crashing down and your world is falling apart? In such times, we need to be sure that we know that we are not just mouthing the words of verse 28, but that we are holding tight to the truth of verse 28. That when my world falls apart, when my life is, is racked with sickness and pain, and I can say, and I can say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening, but I do know that you're working this to my good. Now, here's the interesting thing. This, this, this is one of the reasons why I say people take this verse out of context. For we know that God works all things to good. What is that good? What is that good? You know, he tells us in the very next verse, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that he's working toward in my life and your life. This is where we're going. Verse 28, it, it has some built-in qualifications, though, that we need to understand. To whom does this verse apply? Does it apply to everybody? No. Paul tells us, for we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, so everybody, you, you, you probably won't find anybody that will tell you, well, I don't love God. Everybody says, I love God. God is first in my life. But I want to tell you what Jesus said about love. If you love me, he said, obey me. Do you love God? Then I ask you, are you obeying God? Because that's, that's the telltale sign that you truly love God. This verse does not apply to everyone. This verse only applies to those who truly love God. To those who say, I lay down my life for God. I give up everything in my life for God. Jesus said, anyone who desires to come after me and does not deny himself and take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Are you living a life of denial of yourself? <laughs> I had to catch myself there because most Christians do live a life of denial. <laughs> 
But what I mean is, are you denying yourself on a daily basis? Are you picking up your cross? The cross is an instrument of death. Do you pick up that cross daily and follow Christ no matter the cost, no matter what it is? On another occasion, Jesus said, Anyone who comes to me and comes after me and does not hate both mother and father and brother and sister can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus didn't mean that I'm supposed to hate my mother and father, but what he says, if my love for him does not surpass my love for everyone else, then I can't be his follower. So again, I ask you, do you truly love God? Because if you don't do all those things, you don't truly love God. Now, none of us, okay, let me clarify here, none of us live up to that standard completely. But as we've been talking about on Wednesday nights in our study of holiness, holiness is a, is a pursuit it's something that I intentionally do. It's something that I purposely do, that I wake up on Monday morning and say, Today, I will live for God. I will deny myself. I will pursue holiness to be like Christ. That's who the verse is to. Only the people who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that purpose is the good which he talks about. That purpose is that one day God will look upon me and he will say, You look, act just like Jesus. That's our ultimate goal. And so that's who this is to. So I ask you this morning, do you love him? You know, many people today think that good means healthy and wealthy and successful. And I will tell you that the majority of Christians in the world are not healthy, wealthy, or successful. They may be by the world's standards, but not by God's standards. Many believers endure failure and disappointments in life. But the good is to be conformed to the image of His Son, to be like Christ. And we can see how sickness and suffering and persecution and grief are used by God to this end. You want me to give you the ultimate example of this? Jesus was born in a lowly manger, filthy animals. The smell must have been horrendous. And he came into this world born of a virgin. And he grew. He became a man. And he went about preaching the gospel. By the way, do you know what the very first words were out of the mouth of Jesus in his public ministry? Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent. That's the first thing he said. And here we see the Son of God who went about healing those who were sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, showing love and compassion. And they crucified him. And many people look and say, Oh, what a tragedy that cross was. What a tragedy that the very Son of God, God in the flesh, that this world would take him after all the good that he did and nail him to a cross. But what the world doesn't know is God had a plan. God had a purpose. Did you know that from the moment Jesus took his first breath as a human being, the only reason he came was that cross. 
Now, Jesus healed a lot of people, but I want to tell you something, folks. He didn't come to be a healer. He fed a lot of people, but he didn't come to be a waiter. He came to be a savior. And we look and we, 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 we look at this and say, you know, even his disciples didn't understand. Every time Jesus would tell them, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of evil men, I'm going to be crucified. And they would say, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen. You know, I find, I, I love Peter. You ought to love him too, because he's just like all of us. Peter was one who had that foot and mouth disease. He would say one thing and then turn around and say something that, you know, he, he would never think before he spoke. Jesus said, tell me, who do men say that I am? You know, this is interesting right here. Who do people say that I am, Jesus said. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. But then he asked the question, I'm going to ask you this question. But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then just a few verses later, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Peter said, no, you're not. I'm not going to let it happen. And you know what he said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> One minute, Peter is proclaiming the message of who Christ is. And the next minute, Jesus is saying, you're Satan. Because you see, I have found, I, I had a young lady come to me one time. She says, I don't understand. Why would God allow Satan to crucify Jesus? And I said, well, in the first place, he didn't. <laughs> Satan didn't crucify Jesus. Satan did everything he could to keep Jesus away from that cross. By the way, you all know who crucified Jesus, right? God did. God did. It was our sin that caused it to happen, but God's the one who did it. But my point is here, all of this, the disciples, they, they, they see everything and they, they just know the kingdom of God has arrived. Their Messiah is here. And the next thing they know, he's hanging on a cross and then lying in a tomb. And as far as they're concerned, it's all over. All their dreams have been smashed. All their hopes are gone. But on the third day, just like he told them many, many times, by the way, on the third day, the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive. But you see, many times in life, when we go through life and we suffer, especially when we suffer from behalf of Christ and we wonder, is this all worth it? All my hopes are gone. All my dreams have been shattered. Everything is just falling apart. God, where are you? God, why did you let this happen? And God says, do you trust me or don't you? And Jesus accomplished our redemption because God worked all things together for good. All things together. Now this verse doesn't say that all things are good. 
because we know they're not. As a matter of fact, we probably encounter more bad than we do good. But it says that all things work together for good. And for the true believers, for those who truly love God, all things that have ever happened to us or possibly can happen to us, we understand that they are so ordained and controlled by God that the end result is inevitably our good. You read the gospel narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus, the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Christ. And we look at it and say, where was God? Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God stop that? And we say, I don't understand. Let me tell you something, folks. That's the God the world knows. But that's not the God of the Bible. We know that God was the one who ordained everything. The Bible says that you and I have been called in Christ and elected by, by God before the foundation of the world. In the book of Genesis, it says that God spoke and there was light. That God took and he, he created all that there is. But do you know that before any of that ever happened, God knew who would be his. You know why? Because he's the one that chose them. He's the one that ordained them. But we see that the end result is all, you know, one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is found in the book of Genesis with a man named Joseph. Now, you probably won't find, other than maybe David, a more beautiful picture of the life of Jesus than you will in the life of Joseph. He was his father's favorite son. You know, the coat of many colors, you've all heard of that. That's what that signified. When, when, when his father gave him that coat, that signified, this is my favorite right here. Well, his brothers didn't take too kindly to that. They hated him for it. And so they decided to kill him. They didn't kill him. They did worse. They sold him into slavery. And after they sold him into slavery in Egypt, he went to work for a man named Potiphar as a slave. And you all know the story. Potiphar had a wife that took a liking to him. She, she tried to force herself on him. Joseph, he, he fled. She grabbed his clothes. He was naked, running. She charged him with rape, and he spent 10 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Okay, now here's a man who wants to do nothing but love God and serve God. And because of that, everyone around him hates him. And their hatred led them to sell him into slavery. Their hatred uh, led them to put him in a position where he would spend... Ten years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Not one time do you read in the, in the, gospel, in, in the narrative there in, in Genesis where Joseph ever said, Hey God, look, what's going on here? I love you. Why are you letting this happen to me? God, why are you letting me be in prison for a crime I didn't? He didn't do any of that. You know what Joseph did? He said, I love the Lord God. And if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave I can be to the glory of God. He said, if I have to go to prison for a crime I didn't commit, I'm going to be the best prisoner I can to the glory of God. But there came a day when Joseph was let out of prison. He interpreted a dream. And when it was all said and done, 
Joseph, for all intents and purposes, okay, was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Pharaoh said, you got a problem, you see Joseph. It's just like he's talking to me. And not only that, we look at all that and say, okay, what was God doing? Why would God allow all this stuff to happen to poor Joseph? But do you realize if that hadn't happened to Joseph, the nation of Israel might not even be here today. Because Joseph, becoming prime minister of Egypt, was in charge of everything. And when his brothers come, you know the brothers that sold him into slavery, that, one that hated him, that wanted to kill him, that sold him into slavery? Well, it just so happened. You ever heard that? You ever read in the Bible where it says you'll reap what you sow? <laughs> well, you see, they, they, their father sends them to Egypt because that's where the food is because there was a great famine in the land. And, and they get there and, and they look and say, uh-oh. <laughs> look who it is we have to contend with. The brother that we hated, the brother that we sold into slavery, the brother we wanted to kill. And now he's the most powerful man. All he has to do is say the word and he can kill us. I want to read to you what Joseph said to him. Over here in Genesis chapter 50. Well, his brothers, verse 18 says, His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now here's the wonderful verse. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Listen, that's the same thing. Jesus stands and he says, you meant it for evil, but my father meant it for good. That many might be alive today. You understand how that all works? You see that, that, that we, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in your life, you know, another example is Job. Job was the richest man, probably one of the richest men that's ever lived. He had more uh, possessions and money. He had a large family. He was a God-fearing man. He loved the Lord. And, and, and I love this story because you see in the very first few verses of chapter 1 of Job, Satan is standing before God and God says, where have you been? He said, I've been walking around on the face of the earth. You know what God did? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, you know what he did right there, right? He literally painted a target on Job's back. God did. Now you go all through the book of Job and you see all the things that happened to him. And one day his entire family was killed. Except his wife. I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, I, I, I mean that because if you read what kind of wife he had. I didn't mean that because of your wife. <laughs> 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 Job lost everything, all his possessions, and then God allows Satan to touch him. The only thing Satan was not allowed to do was kill Job. Now, don't miss the part here that Job couldn't do anything unless God gave him permission. And all this that Job went through, Job even comes to a point 
where he says, curse the day that I was born. But you know, in the end, it says that God restored to Job tenfold what he lost. And you know, if you, I don't know that Job ever knew what happened until he got to heaven. I think that Job would, 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 as he went through this and came through this and got to the other side and lived out the rest of his life, that maybe he was telling his sons or his grandsons and saying, let me tell you what happened to me. And they said, well, why did they? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But I do know that God is good. And this is, what, this is the examples we have. You know, in the book of First Peter, Chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, Peter says this. He says, Beloved, now he's speaking to believers, okay? And Peter's book is written to suffering Christians. They were, Nero was, uh, had instituted a tremendous persecution of Christians in that day. And so Peter's writing to them and he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when he is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Isn't that what Paul said? But we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And Peter says, look, if you're called to suffer for Christ, he said, rejoice in that. Rejoice because God has a plan. God has a purpose. And he's working us towards that. You know, sometimes we're overwhelmed with the harsh blows of life. And we feel like we just can't go on. But God has designed and ordained the plan of our lives. Do you believe that? Well, the next time you face trials, or tribulations, or persecutions, or sickness, or whatever, we'll find out whether you truly believe that. This is the point of it all, though. It has been formed according to his purpose. And it is because we know this that we can go on. You know, Jesus, it says when they arrested him, they took him and they, they, they beat him. They pulled out his beard. You know, he was taken and beaten with a cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails 
is a whip with many cords on it that has pieces of bone and pieces of metal in the end of it. And it, it just literally ripped his flesh apart. But at no point did Jesus say, no, I can't do this. They took him, they placed a crown of thorns on his head till the blood began to run down his face. You know, Isaiah tells us that when Jesus was taken after they were finished with him, that you couldn't tell if he was a man or an animal. That's how badly they had beaten him. And then for six hours, he hung on a cross one Friday. Naked. In shame and agony and pain. And at no point... Does Jesus say, Father, I can't do this. I can't go on. You know why he didn't say that? Several reasons. Number one, he trusted his father. He knew that all things were in his hand. Number two, he knew we needed it. So that we could have be redeemed and be saved from our sin. What can possibly come into our lives that can defeat God's plan? You know, Satan tried to stop this. He tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross, but it didn't work. You know why it didn't work? Because God had ordained that it would. God is sovereign. Oh, that's such a wonder. That's such a beautiful word. That God is sovereign. You know what that means? just simply means God is God. <laughs> and that God does what God wants, when God wants, and how God wants, and He doesn't care whether we like it or what our opinions are. You know why? Because He's God, and He knows better than we do. And you and I can go on in confidence even when we are perplexed and even when we are cast down. You know, Paul's going to talk here in the latter part of this, this, this chapter. You know what? Let's just read that. Let's skip down. And we're going to get to this later when I preach on these verses, but I want to read them right now. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God or love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, or I am confident, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says, so here's the thing. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to His purpose. 
we need not fear sickness. God glorified himself in Job's sickness, and it even matured Job. Do we need fear death? Paul says, for I know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. My physical death will only consummate the plan of God in my life. We need not fear that. You know, when I was, I was convicted when I was studying this. Here's why. Like everybody, I have a lot of fears. I have a fear of flying. I don't get on airplanes. You know, what goes up must come down. You know, somebody told me one time, said, hey, if it's your time, it's your time. And I said, what if it's not my time, but it is the pilot's time? <laughs> Listen, we all have fears. <clears throat> and most of our fears center around death. That's our ultimate enemy. But listen, believer, have you ever thought about the fact that if you have been called according to his purpose and you love God, all death does is take you from here to there. One minute you're in this temporary tent that you live in, and then the next, you're in a new body that will never grow old, never get sick, never cry. Never die. Do you love God? Do you say that or do you love God? You know, there were many who said to Jesus, we love you, I'll follow you anywhere. But when he laid down the conditions, they went the other way. Don't have this idea that you can just say and give lip service to God and say, oh God, I put you first in my life. God, I love you and I'm going to live my life the way I want to, but just know that I love you. And God says, sorry, but it doesn't work that way. But folks, I will tell you this morning that the gates of paradise stand wide open. And Jesus says, all who will repent, if you will lay aside your sin, if you will put your faith and trust in me and come, he says, I will give you eternal life. I will show you what it means to love. And then you will begin to love God and you will begin to obey God. Jesus came and suffered. And Paul says, if we would be heirs of Christ, then we not only must share in his glory, but we must share in his suffering. But he says, in the midst of that suffering, know this, Christian. Take confidence in this, Christian. Uh, rest in this, true believer. And know that for those who truly love God, all things work together for good. Who are called according to his purpose. So whatever happens in our life, whatever comes, there, listen, did you know that in the Christian life there is no such thing as random? There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as anything but God ordained. And yes, there's been times in my life that God has ordained things into my life that's made me say, God, do you sure you love me? <laughs> 
But on this side of it, I say, yes, I do know now that you love me. Because you worked all things. And listen, there's a day coming, Paul says, when we will be conformed to the image of His Son. And we will look and we will thank God for every trial. We will thank God for every minute of suffering. You know what? You ought to do that now. Paul says, rejoice in all things. Give thanks in all things. He didn't say rejoice and give thanks in all things that are good in your life. He didn't say rejoice and give thanks when everything's going right in your life. Paul says rejoice and give thanks in all things because we know God is in control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word, for the confidence and the assurance that we have. Father, we do face many trials and tribulations. Some of these are caused by our own sin. And Father, some are caused because you bring these things upon us. And Lord, we don't often understand. We hardly ever understand, but you've never asked us to understand. You've just asked us to trust. So Father, may we this morning understand that there is a purpose in what you're doing in our lives. May we rest in your sovereignty that you are God. And Father, that for those who truly belong to you, who truly love you and are called according to your purpose, that Lord, there's nothing that can touch us without your permission. Father, I pray for that one that may be here this morning that does not know Christ. Lord, maybe they give lip service to him. Maybe they don't care about him at all. But Lord, I pray this morning they may see the love that you have in Christ. May they understand this morning, Father, that it is only those who are in Christ that there's no condemnation. It is only in Christ that peace is found. It is only in Christ that forgiveness is found. So, Father, I pray for that one that you've called, that you would change their hearts and turn their hearts towards you, that they would repent of their sin and call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.